You're listening to the Marketing for Learning podcast, the only podcast in the world designed to help you increase your capabilities when it comes to marketing in the learning function. We're here to help you make your learners do things they don't want to do. You're welcome. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Marketing for Learning podcast. I'm here to talk to you today about a subject that's going to make a lot of you want to run and hide, but please don't. I want to talk to you about data, analytics, and measurement. Obviously, this is all within a marketing for learning context. So you might be thinking, Han, we've not even started yet, or I've only just started thinking about this. So why on earth am I going to think about measuring the impact of something I've only just started? But actually, this is a perfect time to think about it. So today I'm going to talk through some of the measurements that we do quite often in marketing, why we do them, and what you should be looking out for. So let's get started. In marketing, we don't just use data and analytics and measurements to prove our success. Of course, that's great. It's great to prove to stakeholders and senior management how we're making an impact to the business, maybe how we're spending our money, how we're getting a return on our investments. But that's not really the sole purpose of data and analytics in marketing. We actually use it to test what we're doing. Because as I've said in pretty much every podcast I've recorded so far, what works for you might not work for somebody else and vice versa. So you need to test and work out exactly what works for your audience And the only way we can do that is by trying. But if we just try everything, we never measure anything, we might be spending a lot of time and effort in things that are just not resonating with our target audience. Let's take an example of the actual world of advertising. I mentioned it probably on one of our first podcasts about um, an advertising campaign that was going around, but nobody really knew who it was. There's loads of speculation. It was Adele because it was just a moody sky and the number 30. For those of you that don't know, Adele has always named her albums after the age she was when she wrote them. So everyone's like, oh, well, she's like 31 now. It must be Adele. There was a load of hype around it and it really worked well for her. Unsurprisingly, it was a campaign for Adele and it worked. But if I suddenly decided I wanted to launch a music career, which if anyone's heard my singing, you'll know that's not going to happen. But that's besides the point. If I decided I wanted to do that and then I just randomly put up a moody poster that said 28, I think people would assume, well, they'd be like, who's that? They wouldn't think it's Adele because it's not her age. It would be really weak. There might be some talk about it, but it wouldn't make people remember who I am. And that's just one example of how something that could work really, really well for one person can fall on absolute deaf ears for somebody else. And the same goes for marketing for learning. Your employees, your people are not the same as those of your competitors or people in completely other, like different industries. So you need to work out what works for your people. And the only way we can do that is by testing. So when we're looking at measurement and analytics and data, we need to think about our primary aim. And when we're marketing our learning, our primary aim is quite simple. It's to make sure more people are learning, right? Obviously, the aim of our learning is probably entirely different, or at least it should be, because we don't want people learning for the sake of it. We want people acquiring skills, changing behaviours and so on. 
But when we're marketing our courses, we want more people to be logging into the platform or signing up for a program and so on. So with that in mind, what can we measure? There is so many measurements in marketing as a whole. In fact, I've got a whole book over on my bookshelf full of measurements in marketing. And I'm not going to bore you with that because this podcast will take about five days. But what I am going to do is break down some of our most common ways that we market our learning and talk about testing and measurements you can do there. So let's start with email marketing. Email marketing is single-handedly the biggest marketing channel that most organizations have at their disposal. And that's probably even more likely in a marketing for learning context. Some of you might be lucky enough to have an actual email marketing platform that's normally used in a marketing context um, at your disposal. But others, others of you will be just using like Outlook or Gmail and similar. And that's fine. We can still test, we can still measure, and we can still iterate with these platforms. So the first thing we want to be keeping an eye on, if we can, is the open rates of our emails. This time, you'll probably need an email platform to really know exactly how many people are opening your emails. But what makes you open an email? That's the subject line, right? I don't know about you, but I get tons of emails every day. And I hate to admit it as a marketer, but a lot of them I don't read. I go through and if the subject line is quite clearly boring, not interesting, there's nothing in this email that's going to interest me, I'll delete it. So when you're marketing your learning, you need to bear that in mind. Your subject line needs to be attention grabbing. One thing you do have on pretty much every email platform is A-B testing. And A-B testing is when you test two variants of the same thing to see which works better. So using A-B testing for a subject line, you'd write two subject lines. Maybe the first is, hi, there's a new course in the LMS. And then maybe the other is like, hey, Hannah, do you want to say three hours a week? Your email platform will send out the first subject line to a small percentage of your um, audience. So that could be 5%, it could be 10%, it could be 25%. Depends how big your list is. But it will send that first subject line to one cohort. And a second subject line, so the second one you put in, to the same size cohort. But that will not be 50-50 because it will be a small subset of your entire audience. Then the one that works best will be sent to the rest of the people. So then you've got more chance of more people opening your emails. Very, very clever. One of my favorite features in most email platforms. But if you don't have um, an email platform, uh, like MailChimp and things like that I'm thinking of here. You can still do something similar with Outlook or Gmail or any other email platform you use for communication in your workplace. So perhaps you send an email today to all in your company saying, new productivity course in the LMS. That's your subject line. And you don't see much of an uptake. There's not many people that have clicked through to... Um, to your learning platform, nobody's really enrolled on it. You're in a bit of a sticky situation. If you resend the same email, but with a new subject line, so, hey, Hannah, say three hours a week. It's a productivity course after all. And you see an uptake, well, then you know that second subject line worked a lot better for your audience. 
One thing to bear in mind here when you're doing A-B testing manually like this is that you really must only change one thing. If you sent an entirely new email a week later, you've no idea whether it's the new copy you've included, the new imagery you've included, or the new subject line you've included that worked better. Of course, you can do that, and that's called multivariant testing. But if you're A-B testing, you want to change just one feature. So what else can we measure in email marketing? Well, click-through rates is also another one. If you've got an email platform that enables you to send out emails to your people, you'll even be able to see which buttons or which links more people clicked on. Over time, don't just ignore this data. If you're including a button at the top of your email every single time and people aren't clicking on it, well, then it's not working. Stop including it. Stop distracting your people from what they need. Use this data. Analyze it. Work out what's working and what's not. Data for data's sake is completely irrelevant. So make sure you're using the data to better your further marketing tactics. So another channel that we use a lot in Marketing for Learning is social media. When I first talk to people about social media marketing in a learning context, they're like, oh, no, we don't, we don't touch social media. It's an internal thing. But if you've got things like Slack, Yammer, uh, Facebook for business, I think it's called Workplace, those kind of things, that is social media. Whether you like it or not, that's what it is. What can we look at through social media? Social media is a tricky one because it falls into this bucket quite often of vanity metrics. Vanity metrics are things that look really good outwardly, but actually have little to no input, impact on your actual objective. So, for example, if I'm trying to sell trainers and I put up a post on Instagram about trainers and it gets millions of likes, but absolutely nobody buys any more trainers, that's not really helped my overall impact, has it? That's not really helped me achieve my overall objective because I've not sold any more trainers. Got some awareness, but it hasn't paid off right now. When you're looking at social media for marketing for learning, of course, people liking and interacting with your posts is really important. But that's much earlier on in the um, in the marketing funnel. It's in the awareness stage. It's when we're just trying to generate awareness that people understand our learning is there for them to take. It's very important that you do that stage. But if it's something a bit more direct, if you're telling people, sign up for this course now, you've only got two days left to sign up, and you've got 10 likes but nobody clicks through, those 10 likes are kind of pointless, aren't they? So how can we actually work out from these social platforms? So let's just use a Workplace, Facebook for Business, for example. You've put up a post on there. It's got 10 likes. You have had some people sign up today, but you don't know if they've come from that Facebook post. Here is when Google Analytics is your best friend. Google Analytics can sometimes seem a bit scary and a bit too much of a beast for L&D to look at, but you can apply Google Analytics tracking to your learning platforms. It's really simple. You just add a little bit of code to the source code of your LMS. Once you've got that code on your learning platform, you can then track if somebody's clicked on a specific link by using a UTM code. So that tells you where they've actually come from. 
You might have noticed sometimes if you click on a link, um, normally from Google Ads, you'll see that it's got like a question mark and it says campaign, it says medium, it says source. After what you just assume is a normal URL. That is a UTM link. That tells a marketer exactly where you've come from. And we can do the same in a marketing for learning context. And I really implore you to do that if you're able to. And the same can be said for influencer marketing, which is another really, really common practice in marketing for learning. You've got an influencer that's talking about a specific topic. That could be somebody within your organization, somebody in your leadership team, somebody like a learning champion. There are so many different influencers you can use in a marketing for learning context. And we've got a whole podcast on the matter. But how do you know if that works? Well, it's the same thing that we would on social media. We'd make sure any links we include actually have some tracking codes on them so we know where, where they're coming from. But also you can correlate the data if you don't have these tools to your disposal. So if you put out an influencer video and everyone's talking about it and there's a huge surge in your learning platform, maybe the two are correlated. If you put out a social media post and there's a huge surge yet again, the two might be correlated there too. But it's really important to remember the difference between correlation and causation when we're looking at data and analytics. Correlation is like I just said, you put out a video and more people sign up. But more people might have signed up because you also put up some posters in the office. It's not necessarily the video that caused that because you haven't got the tracking to know. And there's a really interesting uh, YouTube video that I will link in the show notes about causation and correlation, about a study that says when ice cream consumption in the US increases, so do murder rates. That's a correlation. You can't argue with the data. One goes up and the other one seems to go up. But what they've not thought about is the cause. And the cause in these two things was actually likely the heat. Crime rates go up when people are more outside, blah, blah, blah. And ice cream consumption does exactly the same. So when you're looking at data analytics, you really must be careful about this correlation and causation. You can hazard a good guess, but don't bet your life on it. So thank you so much for joining me today on this podcast. I hope I've given you quite a good overview of data and analytics and measurements and what you should and shouldn't do in a marketing for learning context. But most of all, I really want to hit home a message I mentioned earlier. The only people, the only company or the only team you should be comparing yourself with is yourself. If you currently have 100 very engaged learners and you manage to increase that to 500 very engaged learners, what you are doing is working. You cannot compare yourself to an organisation that already has 1,000 very engaged learners. So use the data to your advantage. Make sure you're not wasting your time doing marketing um applying marketing tactics that just do not work for your organization maybe nobody goes on facebook for business in your place so don't invest loads and loads of time on something that three people see check your data check your analytics and then use it to your advantage 
test, 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 and test again. And also remember to not be afraid to fail. It doesn't matter if you put up a post that nobody really interacts with. You can do it better next time because you'll have the data that will make you make a better decision. It doesn't matter if you send out an email with a subject line that everyone's like, oh, I'm not reading that, delete. Just send a better subject line next time. You will have the data to test and to iterate and to do better. And that's why we use data and measurements in a marketing for learning context. Of course, they're great to show our stakeholders, but most of all, they are our tool and they help us be better marketers. As always, if you've got any questions about this, please do get in touch. I'm always on LinkedIn, so you know where to find me. And if there's anything else you'd like us to cover in the Marketing for Learning podcast, please do let us know. We're always open to suggestions and we'll add it to our very, very, very long to record list. See you on the next one, guys.